excited for the final session of Reveal Conference. I am so pumped to be here. It's a huge honor to be back and to one of my favorite, really one of my favorite places in the world. A big shout out to Pastors Dusty and Kendra. Uh, come on, can we put our hands together? I think, I think it's amazing the faithfulness to build something like this year after year. There is no way we will know the full impact of a movement like this until we get to heaven. And so uh, in the meantime, we can be thankful, though, for the impact this weekend because we've seen it. And I'm so thankful you guys have me back. Thank you so much. And Mikey and Carly and Cody and the whole team doing a great job. Um, as usual. I want to give a special shout out as well to all the youth pastors in the room. Make some noise for your youth pastor. <laughs> Students, if you have not, if you have not told them thank you by the end of this day, you need to make sure you fix that. Uh, there we go. That'll work. Sure. Why not? Let's just do it now. Uh, yep. It takes a lot of work uh, to get you here, believe it or not. It's a lot of, it's a lot of effort and I know they're grinding and so um, thank you guys. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is uh, Parker. I am from Memphis, Tennessee, and I've spent my entire life serving at the Life Church under my pastors, John and Leslie Siebling, and that is my favorite place in the world. I have an amazing family as well. We have a picture, I think, if we can throw that picture up. Of, yeah. Uh, now, a couple things about this. First of all, you'll notice this is three separate pictures. There's two reasons. Number one, we just don't have an updated family picture. Number two, I wanted to make sure that I got my son Leo in a Grizzlies jersey in the collage just to, Mikey showed me his son in a Mavericks jersey, so I just had to make sure. Um, so that's my wife, Bryn. We've been married uh, over seven years now. Amazing, best thing that's ever happened to me. My son Leo, he's a little over three years old. He's the best. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, there is no one on the planet, I say this with the utmost confidence, there is no one on the planet more obsessed with the Avengers than my son Leo. It's his whole personality that he likes the Avengers, all right? I'm not exaggerating. I, uh, we got a few fans. I, I, I've been trying to get him to like basketball, but every time we, we put a game on, he just wants to know who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. And so I've just been telling him the Memphis Grizzlies are the good guys, the Dallas Mavericks are the bad guys, John Moran is an Avenger, and Luca is a villain. He's Thanos that's going to get defeated. Uh, then there's my daughter, Violet. Violet is just over one years old, one year old, and is she not the cutest human being on the planet? Unbelievable. I love my son, but daughters hit different. They just are just different. And so I'm telling you, I love my family. Honored to be here. Open up your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, while you're turning there, quick survey. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good has Reveal Conference been this year? Scale of 1 to 10. Show me some numbers. I see a lot of 10s. Uh, my man, is that, a, is that a one? One out of 10? It's, it's backwards. Okay, uh, it's a one. Point two? Oh, okay. 12, 12 out of 10. I see a lot of 10s. I'm sure that's the case. Um, and I, I want to close out strong today. Uh, I want to have some fun this morning. The direction I feel like God's leading me today, I don't know. I feel like it's a little different. It's not the most conferency message, uh, whatever that means, but I think it can help us close out. Because how many of you know a reveal conference is not the pinnacle? Uh, it's not the apex, it's not the finale. If anything, right, when we think about Reveal Conference, we need to see it as a launching pad, as a starting point, as the beginning. So the reality is if everything God did in your life stopped right here, then this weekend would be a failure. This can't be a life-changing weekend unless it's a life 
changing weekend. And here's what I know. God has undoubtedly done some incredible things over the past couple days. Young people have encountered the Holy Spirit. People have been healed. Purpose has been revealed. There's been salvation. God has moved in a way that only He can. And I think we can celebrate what God has done uh, while ultimately understanding that He's not done. It reminds me actually in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, I know I told you to turn to 1 Kings 19. I want to give you a little backstory because in 1 Kings chapter 18, I think you can make the argument that we read about one of the all-time great moments in the Bible. The prophet Elijah has just had the reveal conferences of all reveal conferences. He's just faced off against 450 prophets of a false god named Baal. Him against 450. And in a moment where he could have died because it was basically life or death situation, God showed up and revealed himself in one of the most powerful ways imaginable. He, he proved himself to be the one true God. He, he defeated the prophets of Baal. In fact, all of those false prophets lost their lives. It was an unbelievable moment. People encountered God. It was, it was like a reveal conference. He had an incredible experience with God. And as he leaves that experience, he's riding high. I mean, if you read the story, he was even a little, like he was trash talking. I mean, he was confident. He was cocky. He was arrogant. And uh, God showed up. And you would think it was only up from here. That's why what happens in the very next chapter in 1 Kings chapter 19 is so bizarre. After such a huge moment, such a life-changing experience, you would think that Things were smooth sailing from that point on for Elijah. After seeing the power of God so real right in front of him, surely the next few days, the next weeks and months would be amazing. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. It says, when Ahab got home, now Ahab was the king at the time, and he worshipped this false god named Baal. So he was on the other side of Elijah, and he was the one who took the L when the 450 prophets lost to Elijah. He gets home. And he tells Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Jezebel, his wife, basically he's coming home from a hard day at work and he's complaining to his wife about all the mean things this prophet Elijah did to him and his false god, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. She said this, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. She sent a death threat. And Elijah, as the kids say, did not want the smoke, all right? He was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Listen to what happens to Elijah. He, he, he sits down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Let's just pause right here and ask the question, how is this possible? How on earth could Elijah have such an incredible experience with God, see God move in such a powerful way in one moment, and then the next moment face fear and depression and discouragement and even have suicidal thoughts? How is this possible after such a powerful experience with God? Could it be that even after we encounter God in a powerful way, there are still moments that we might actually fight discouragement. We might actually battle fear. We might actually deal with some of the things that we thought we got set free from. That's why it's important to understand that Reveal Conference cannot be the end. It has to be the beginning. 
What God has done in your life, he now wants to work out in your life on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday because you have to go back to the same places you may have escaped from to be here this weekend. The same home, the same school, and in some cases, the same struggles. And what I love about God is that sometimes he gives us spiritual solutions to our problems, and sometimes he gives us practical solutions to our problems, but usually he likes to combine both the spiritual and the practical so that we can walk in revival. And I believe that's what he wants to do today. He wants to combine what the, the, the spiritual encounters you've had the last couple days. He wants those to sit in your heart, walk with you over the next days and weeks and months. But he knows that when he shows up and does what only he can do, he's expecting us as his followers to now walk out what we can do. And God's practical. Because watch how he responds to Elijah's deep depression in verse 5. It says, Elijah laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Anybody like food today? That's good. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. How many of you know sometimes you just need some food and you just need a nap, all right? That's a good, that's, that's a practical solution right there. But in all seriousness, God's response to Elijah's depression was pretty practical. And one of the best things we can do after an experience like Reveal Conference is implement some very practical things that will help us sustain the incredible spiritual things that God did at the altar, that God did in worship, and that God did throughout the weekend. And that's what I want to do today. I want to get practical. I want to get in the details. I want to get in the day-to-day -day things that we can all do to make sure this life-changing experience that happened to all of us this weekend actually becomes life-changing for us when we go back home. I didn't choose this particular story by accident. I actually chose this story as an example in 1 Kings because we see Elijah deal with something that it feels like more and more young people are dealing with than ever before in maybe the history of the world. It's a collection of issues that is absolutely wreaking havoc on the world, especially young people. It's an area I think the enemy is uniquely targeting right now, and it would be foolish to think he wouldn't target each one of us in this area when we leave this conference. What am I talking about? The truth is, I've never seen so much depression, so much anxiety, so much suicidal ideation, so much fear as I've seen today. It feels like every other conversation I have with a teenager involves one of these things. And I'll say it again, God loves to combine the spiritual with the practical to bring revival. And I believe God has done the spiritual. We've had the breakthroughs. We've shed the tears at the altar. Now this is where the rubber meets the road. And we've got to walk this thing out. And so I want to spend the next few minutes talking about the power of joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Doesn't it just feel good to say the word joy? Why joy? Why talk about joy to close out Reveal Conference 2022? Well, I think it's because the Bible says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Y'all know that verse? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So for us to walk out of this conference with the strength that we need for the journey ahead, we're going to need to walk in joy. In the moments, in the coming weeks and months where you feel weakness, the best place we can get strong again is by tapping into the joy of the Lord. 
And ultimately, I would argue that the best medicine for depression, for anxiety, for fear, is joy. And so for a few minutes, let's get practical about joy. I've titled the message, maybe it's a little ambitious, How to Be Happy. How to Be Happy, How to Be Happy. Let's pray and let's get into it. God, we thank you for all that you have done this weekend. We thank you, God, that you have done what only you can do. Lord, we can't do the things you do. We can't change lives in a moment at the altar. So we thank you for doing the things you can do, for healing and for filling us with the Holy Spirit and for saving our souls and for giving us direction and calling us into purpose. God, we thank you for doing the impossible. Now help us as we study your word, take some things that are possible for us so that we can walk out the impossible you've called us to. And we pray today that you would soften Mikey and the rest of his family's heart for the Grizzlies because it's going to be a rough playoffs for the Mavericks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any Grizzlies fans here, by the way? Anybody? My man. <laughs> we got one. All right. On September 26, 2014, uh, my life changed forever when I married the most amazing woman on the planet, my wife, Bryn. Uh, it was a beautiful day, one that I will never forget, and honestly, one that went by so fast. Uh, it has been over seven and a half years of marital bliss since then. And if you've ever been to a wedding or been a part of someone's wedding, you know that one of the most important things about a wedding are the pictures. You take a lot of them, and they cost a lot of money. Funny enough, uh, these are extra important to my wife because she is now a full-time photographer. She literally takes pictures of people's weddings almost every weekend. She's pretty passionate about pictures well before she was a photographer. And to be honest with you, I've taken quite a few in the time that I've known her, quite a few. Uh, and during the wedding, all the pictures are important, of course, but I would argue there is one picture in particular that ma matters more than all the rest, especially to the bride. And it's not the picture of, you know, the family, although that's important. It's not the picture of the bridal party, although that is certainly important. Not even the picture of the bride in her own dress, although that is important. I would argue that the picture that matters more than all the rest to the bride is the picture of the groom's face when the bride is walking down the aisle. That's right. The groom's reaction to the bride is huge. It's massive. You go to a wedding these days, and half the crowd didn't even look at the bride anymore. They're all turning around waiting to see if the groom's going to cry. That's the whole point of the ceremony now. I promise you, go to a wedding, and look, usually tradition says everybody looks at the bride. Not anymore. Everybody's like, there's the bride. Let's see if the guy's going to cry. That's everybody's thought. I was at a wedding last night, and that was what people were doing. It's a lot of pressure. So guys, just a warning for your future. Write this down. You better nail this. Um, you better be doing something. Tearing up, smiling, full-on sobbing. It's important. And I knew this going into our wedding. The problem was I'm not a very good smiler. Just not a skill. I'm not good at pictures. My wife has helped me get better, but at the time, it was, it was pretty rough. Uh, and on top of all that, I'm, I'm not very emotional, so there was a 0% chance I was going to cry. So going into the wedding, I had to hype myself up. I had to convince myself that this was the moment I was going to have the greatest smile I've ever had. I'm going to be beaming. I practiced for weeks. I looked in a mirror. I did some smiling drills. I was training for this moment. Like people train to run a marathon. And when the day finally arrived, I was pumping myself up. You can do this. You can smile. 
you can nail this picture. I'm staring at my face in the mirror. I'm just like, I'm getting myself pumped up. And the day of the wedding comes, and it's going pretty well. And all of my work started to pay off a little bit because I want to show you a picture from this day. It's, it's pretty, pretty impressive because, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm smiling pretty good. Do we have that picture? Can we throw that, that picture up? I mean, that's, that's pretty good, I'd say. The problem is, uh, this was not my face for my wife coming down the aisle. This picture was snapped when my brother-in-law, Nick, was coming down the aisle. Uh, he was kind of messing around, doing something funny, and so, you know, I was laughing and, and good. But, but either way, at least I was loose, right? I, I, I'm, I'm working my way to the big moment. I was doing good. And then that moment came. The doors opened. Everyone stood. The music changed. The anticipation was building. And out walks Bryn, looking amazing. And all of a sudden, as she starts walking down the aisle, I'm hit by this wave of emotion that I was not prepared for. Not something I was planning on. I can feel myself getting choked up. I can feel this lump in my throat. I can feel the tears starting to well up in my eyes. I, I, I'm thinking to myself in this moment, you're not going to cry. You're no, you're no wuss. Like, what are you doing? So, so I'm telling myself in my mind, as she's coming down the aisle, I'm having this battle rage in my mind. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. At the same time, the other side of my brain is saying, smile big, smile big, smile big. I've been training for this moment for weeks, so I know this is it. This battle's going back and forth. Don't cry, smile big, don't cry, smile big. And so here she comes, walking down the aisle. Hundreds are looking on the picture that gets snapped of me to commemorate this moment, the most important picture of the day, maybe the most important picture of my life. Here it is. Throw that next one up there. Look at that joy. Look at the joy in those eyes. Tell me you wouldn't want to come running down the aisle to that man in that face. No, I look dead inside. <laughs> it's bad. I'm surprised she didn't turn right back around and say, try again. Now, I got a confession to make. If you go to our wedding album, I think we've seen enough of that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you go to our wedding album today and you flip through it, you'll see a picture of my wife coming down the aisle. And the picture next to it, it's not that picture. That one didn't make it. Uh, the picture next to the picture of my bride in the wedding photo album um, is, uh, is the picture of me smiling at my brother-in-law, almost to give off the impression that that was my face for her, but it definitely wasn't. In, in, in the years that have gone by, I've thought about this so much, and I've realized that if you're ever like me in this situation, there is one move that solves all problems, all right? You don't have to worry about smiling. You don't have to worry about crying. All you got to do is put your head in your hand just like this. Boom. That's it. If she starts walking down the aisle and you go, that's all you got to do. So if I had to do it all over again, which I hope I never do, uh, I'm putting my, hand, my head in my hands. How many of you know uh, sometimes our face doesn't tell the whole story? Maybe you've had my problem where you were really happy on the inside, but nobody could tell on the outside. I, I, uh, my wife still doesn't believe me that that was what was going on. She just thinks I wasn't that excited. I'm, I'm telling you, I was, I was emotional and excited. It just didn't come out right. It's somewhere in between. It was like a merge of the two. 
So maybe you've had that problem, or, or maybe what's likely more common is you've probably smiled on the outside while hurting a little bit on the inside. Maybe covering up some of the pain of what you were feeling. And joy is powerful because it's a deep sense of fulfillment and contentment that isn't tied to what's going on around us. Instead, it's tied to what's going on inside of us. And joy, I believe, is one of the greatest benefits of walking with the Holy Spirit. Yet it seems to be one of the hardest things to cultivate in our lives. All you have to do is spend a few minutes looking around at the world and you can quickly find that often joy is almost non-existent. In 2020, they did a study, they do the same study every year. They asked Americans, are you happy? 14% of Americans said they were very happy in 2020. 14%. Now in 2018, that percentage was 31%. That 14% number is the lowest recorded percentage in American history. So you can make a pretty good case that there's an overwhelming lack of joy and contentment and happiness and fulfillment. Whatever word you want to use, it's almost non-existent in America right now. And it's no coincidence that as happiness and joy have plummeted, anxiety and depression have skyrocketed. Because basically every statistic you can find in the category of mental and emotional health is bad. Loneliness is at an all-time high. Suicide rates, all-time high. Money spent on anxiety medication is at record highs. And one of the reasons joy is so powerful is because it's one of the best weapons we have to fight against depression and anxiety and fear and insecurity. But often our own perceptions and understanding of joy and happiness are completely off-base. And as a result, the sources we turn to can be off-base. Just look around. We live in a society that has a million different opinions and sources for happiness. If you make some more money, chase some success, increase your influence, make the grades, get into that school, date that guy. We hear things like live your truth and do whatever makes you happy. We daydream about what life could be like if we lived somewhere else or went to school somewhere else or dated someone else or even looked like someone else. And in response to this, people turn to other solutions, substance, alcohol, relationships, social media. Some people aren't trying to be happy. They're just trying to make the depression go away. But here's the problem. You need to get this. The more unsuccessful solutions we try, the worse it gets. The more things we try that don't work, the deeper into the depression we go. But I came here to remind you today that we don't have to experiment to find out what brings joy. We don't have to try a million different things. We know the source of joy. We have a relationship with joy personified. We have a creator who has some answers. Psalm chapter 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, we actually don't have to search around like the rest of the world does. We know where the answers are. We don't have to learn how to experience joy from a TikTok or from what our friends are doing. We don't have to read our daily horoscope to know what's going to put us in a good mood today. We can find joy in the presence of our God. And we have to understand this because if we don't, we will find ourselves missing out on the life Jesus came to give us. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. See, the, the Bible paints this picture that there is a battle and the enemy would love nothing more than to steal your joy and kill your hopes 
and destroy your dreams. He definitely wants to take what's happened this weekend and little by little with discouragement here and with doubt there and with fear here, tear it down little by little until it's non-existent. He wants you to be as miserable as possible. And based on the statistics we read, he's, he's doing a decent job. But Jesus, on the other hand, he wants us to thrive in life. He wants us to walk in supernatural joy. He wants us to experience the kind of joy that brings the strength that we need to successfully navigate the journey ahead. So if it's God who wants us to have life and enjoy life the most, shouldn't we check with his playbook for experiencing life instead of what everyone else says? And that's what I want to do today. I just want to look at a few strategies from God's word, some practical things we can walk out of here tomorrow and start doing, some things we can implement that I think will dramatically change the level of joy you walk in on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not every solution. There's other things you could write down for sure. But I just got five that I think are really practical. And I think you can think of these things as tools uh, that you can use that will help uh, reveal conference, become more than just a conference, but become something that you walk out the rest of your life. And I've got five, five ways to walk in joy. Anybody taking notes today? All right, that's good. Anybody asleep today? You wouldn't make noise if you were, and I see a few. So, uh, hey, if you're sitting next to somebody that's asleep, just, you know, you got my permission to bump them a little bit. Uh, you don't have to be rough, but uh, I know it's a, it's a long, you had a long weekend, it's Sunday morning, but this is the 1130 service. You can make it. All right. Five points, five points. Here we go. Number one, number one, this is going to be a, a practical pastoral message. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Number one, you don't have to chase it, you can choose it. Let's talk about joy and the perspective of joy, you don't have to chase joy, you can actually choose it. We have this desire to chase after things that make us happy. If we don't feel it, we need to go find it. That means we chase whatever circumstance we think will lead to more happiness. Move to a different city, hang out with different friends, go to a different school, date a different person, go to a different church, cheer for a different sports team, aka bandwagon fans, which is, there's nothing worse than that. Unless you're jumping on the Memphis Grizzlies bandwagon, then you have a pass, all right? But the truth is that joy is not a circumstantial issue, period. It's a spiritual one. You need to understand something. Listen to me, young person. There will never be a circumstance that satisfies you. Never. But what about when? No, never. There will never be a circumstance that fully satisfies you. You want to know why? Because when you were knit together in your mother's womb, God designed you and wired you in a way that your soul can only find rest and satisfaction in God alone. So the moment we try to find satisfaction in a circumstance, it will always come up short. And this is an important mindset to have because when you get it, it changes everything. You don't have to go searching for joy. You have the ability and the power to choose it in whatever circumstance you are in. Let me show you a great example of this. How many of you know that classic Bible verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? How many of you know this verse? All right, classic. Classic verse. Your mom probably has it hanging on the wall next to her Live, Laugh, Love poster, all right? And, uh, you know, it might be in your Instagram bio. It's an amazing verse, okay? And we apply it in some amazing ways as well. You know, maybe you, you got a big basketball game. You want to... You wanna, put on a show, you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you're trying to find a good sale at Target, so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe, maybe you're trying to work up the courage to get that girl's number, and so you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you're like me, sometimes I've had to use this when I'm trying to finish the last slice of, of pizza when I'm already full. You know, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, all these are fine and good. When you read the few verses before Paul says this, you realize he isn't talking about having superpowers or being able to bench press 250 pounds. Philippians chapter 4, let's read it. 
Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Listen to what he says. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What is Paul saying? He's saying that he has the ability and the power through Jesus to be content and joyful in any season, no matter what. And actually, when you study it, the entire theme of the book of Philippians is joy. It's a book about joy. And here's the big twist. I'm sure many of you know this. Paul didn't write this book sitting on a beach or in a cabin in the mountains. He wasn't on his annual vacation. He wrote this letter all about joy while he was in prison. He wrote this letter all about being content from a jail cell in probably the worst circumstance he could be in. What's the lesson here? Well, joy isn't about where you are or what you're doing. And I hope this can encourage you because there will definitely be some some times where things don't go your way. Some of you might be in that situation right now. You have a rough, rough circumstance you're dealing with. Um, and we can sit around saying, you know, I, I just need a new season. I just need to get through this. I just need to go to a new school. I just need a new boyfriend. I would argue that you don't need a new season today to be happy. You, you need a new spirit. You need a new mentality. You need a new perspective. You need to realize that joy actually isn't in that next season. It's, it's, it can be in this current one. You don't have to give any power to your circumstances. You're not limited to experiencing God's joy only when you're at Reveal Conference. Now you got to go back to real life. No, 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 no. You can walk in this thing in any situation. You can do all things. You can be happy and content and joyful in all seasons. How? Through Christ who gives you strength. It's a mindset that's foundational to experiencing real joy. It's a mentality. And it's a perspective you have to get deep inside you as you leave here that I can walk in joy no matter where I'm walking and what I'm walking through. Let's keep going. Practical strategies for experiencing joy. Number two, number two, what you say affects how you feel. What you say 100% affects how you feel. And I know there's some of you that will say, well, this is a little naive, man. Like, okay, yeah, words, words matter, blah, blah, blah. But let's be real. You can't talk yourself into this, man. You can't talk yourself into joy. You can't just pretend like everything's happy, clappy, and good. But what if I told you that what you were saying was affecting how you were feeling? If I could prove it to you, would you change what you said? Let's read a few verses. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. This is a very familiar verse. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. All right, good verse. Seems a bit dramatic. Like, life and death, and what I say, that seems a little over the top, God. Like, don't, don't you know, like, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? All right, here's the thing. It's not even close to the only verse that talks about the power of our words. So check out these, these verses. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. I, I love these two verses right here. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. And with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. See, I want you to understand the Bible gives us this picture that our words are like spiritual seed that produce fruit. That somehow, supernaturally, our words are sown into the spiritual realms of our lives and these seeds produce fruit. But guess what? The fruit that gets produced is not for anybody else. It's for you. It fills our stomach. It fills our lives. You know what that tells me? If I don't like the way my life tastes right now, I need to check the seed that I'm sowing with my words. 
What if more joy started showing up in your life if you changed how you talked? I know it sounds simplistic and maybe a little too optimistic, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Isn't it at least worth trying? I know, I know some of us in here, I know there's, there's people in here that are like this that, that will say, well, I'm not sure I can start doing this and just saying good things or when I'm not feeling it because I pride myself on keeping it real. I like to tell it like it is. I got no filter and I respect that, that's great. Um, there's valid validity in being honest and authentic, but is it worth it to be the one who keeps it real if it means producing real bad fruit? Is it worth it? What if the reason you aren't experiencing as much joy as you could right now has more to do with your words than what's actually going on in your world? Uh, let me get practical. Okay, what's the difference? Life and death in the power of the tongue. What, what does that even mean? Well, here's what the language of death sounds like. This is the opposite of what we're going for. Things like, I hate my life, or nobody cares about me, or this is never going to get better, or I'm all alone, this will never work, I wish I lived somewhere else, our city is the worst, it's so boring. My teacher, oh, I got the worst teacher. This family is the worst. Anybody feeling encouraged? No. But let me show you something, because I think this is an important distinction to make. Here's what the language of joy sounds like, the language of life. I want you to notice, it sounds like this. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus. That's Bible. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of me. That's Bible. If God is for me, who can be against me? That's Bible. No weapon formed against me can prosper. That's Bible. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the Bible. See, speaking the language of life isn't being fake. It's being faithful to speak the word of God regardless of what you see, regardless of what you feel. We have to be committed to not letting our words be determined only by what we see, but more so by what God says. Some of us need to learn a whole new language. I know I do. I can't believe how easy it is for me to be negative or to complain. It's almost like, like our natural default language is negativity. Like when we don't know something to say, we just kind of throw out something complaining. Like, man, sure is hot out here. Huh? Who cares? Like, man, Monday sure are rough. Am I right? Like, we're just like our casual conversation is negative. Learning a new language is hard. Have you ever tried to learn a foreign language? It's challenging. Um, our church, the Life Church, we have a location in Santiago, Chile, down in South America. And I visited a few years ago and I wanted to learn Spanish before I went, so I downloaded an app, right, and I started practicing, like, hola, como estas, you know, me amo Parker, right? Uh, I wasn't very good at it, uh, but you know what's interesting is I learned more and I learned faster when I actually got to Santiago and was around people who spoke the language fluently. I picked up on so much more. I mean, I, I was around it so much that when I got back home, I would accidentally say things in Spanish, like, without even thinking about it, like, como se dice, where did we park? It had gotten so familiar to me that it was coming out even when I wasn't thinking about it. Learning the language of life isn't as hard as we think. Instead of an app to learn the language, we have the Word of God. And instead of having to fly to another country, we can surround ourselves with the people of God in the house of God and let some of that language rub off on us. Which leads me to the third point, how do you walk in more joy? I think you need to plant your life in the house of God. Plant your life in the house of God. I'm passionate about this one because if you leave this conference without any sort of game plan to like go to youth on Wednesday night or go to church next Sunday morning, you're just going to kind of wing it and see what happens. There's a really good chance that what God started in you here at Reveal will, will, will fade away over time because you need the environment of your church. 
the accountability and the encouragement of your church, the community of your church. You need that, I think, to walk in joy, to thrive in life. One of the best promises in the Bible, Psalm chapter 92, verse 12 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. This is the part I want you to see. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. If you don't hear anything else, at least hear this. Your best chance to flourish in life is to be planted in the local church. Your best chance to have great relationships, to have great purpose, to have great joy, your best chance to flourish is if you're planted in the house of God. If I were you, I'd be here every time the doors were open, as often as I could. Just sometimes being in the right place at the right time around the right people for enough times in a row starts to bring momentum into your life. When I was a teenager, I, I used to set up my own desk in my youth pastor's office. It was a table, and I put a sign on it that said Parker's Desk. And I had nothing to do, no job to fulfill. I'd just come and sit there after school. I, I probably just annoyed my pastors, but they had grace for me and made space for me. Have you ever heard of a gym rat? Like, like cause a gym rat is somebody you just can't keep out of the gym, right? Man, they're just always working on their craft. Like, man, they're just always after hours getting shots up, working on their game. Um, they call them a gym rat. Well, I think it's obvious looking at me, I, I wasn't a gym rat. Um, but one thing I was, I was a church rat. I think we could use some more church rats today. Some young people who you can't keep out of the house of God. Some people that you find in every nook and cranny every time you show up. You're here again? Some kind of people that aren't looking for every excuse in the book to miss church. Oh, it's, I think it's cloudy. I'm not going to go today. It's a little cold. I'm not going to go. I got this basketball game that I want to go see my friends play in. There's a million basketball games. You go to the next one. What if we started prioritizing the house of God? I think it would lead to a flourishing life, a life full of more joy. I think, who, who wants to be a church rat? Can we get any church rats in here today? Come on, some church kids. Some people that would be like David when he said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Some young people that just wouldn't prioritize every other thing besides the house of God. I'm talking about a commitment to be planted. When you're planted, you're buried deep in the soil of God's house. The Bible gives us this picture that our lives are like a seed. We've got this hard outer shell and, and, and so much potential on the inside. And the things that break down that hard outer shell and, and give the potential on the inside the best chance to grow and thrive and flourish is the soil of God's house. So you will sell yourself short if you are not planted in the soil of your local church because you're, you're, you're missing out on an opportunity to thrive into all that God has called you to thrive into. Some of, the, some of the reasons I think the church is so important is because for some of you, like, the best thing you could do when you get home is get a new group of friends. Like, I, like, we say it like this back home. We say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Ten out of ten times this happens. Ten out of ten. There's no exceptions I've ever seen. Now, I'm only 30, all right? So, I guess there's still time. But every young person I've ever seen that has gotten pulled away by a group of friends from God's house, their lives end up broken. I can't think of an example where it, where it worked out. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. Okay. There is no verse in the Bible that says good character fixes bad company. 
There's no verse. Now, maybe you have a really good, good character. You're going to go back into your friend group, and you're going to win them all. And maybe you can. But I would recommend getting some backup. I'd recommend getting some friendships around you that can hold you accountable, that, that know what you experienced at Reveal Conference. And I'm telling you, your youth group, your church is a goldmine of relationships that can help move you forward instead of holding you back. What's going to happen to some of you, just statistically, I hope this is the case, I hope it's not the case, I hope it's 0%. What's going to likely happen to some of you, if we're being totally honest, is that you have all the fire in the world right now, all the passion in the world to change the world for God. But if you get around some wet blankets, that fire will be snuffed out. The wisest thing you may need to do is disconnect and change your environment. And I would recommend the house of God as an environment to get into. Speaking of accountability, how about number four? We're almost done. How do I walk in joy? I got an idea. Do what God says. Here you go. How about obey God? I would make the case that real joy actually follows obedience. That as you obey the word of God, you walk in the joy of God. Psalm 119 verse 1 says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. As simple as this sounds, if we can get a little bit better at actually doing what God says, we will experience more joy. Some people have this picture of God like he's some dictator making up rules and regulations to just restrict us and confine us and make us miserable. But the truth is, everything God tells us to do is for our good. Every instruction God gives is for you. He doesn't need you to obey him. He's God. He doesn't give us instructions so that we can be weird and nobody will like us because we have to follow all these rules. He gives us instructions because his instructions are good for us. So one of the best things you can do if you want to walk in joy is just do what God says. Like if God tells you there's a way he wants you to do things, we don't respond, well, now God, that's a little old-fashioned, don't you think? Like, he's God. I think he's a little smarter than whatever our culture is telling us. Which leads me to an important side note. I have some advice. I have an absolute guaranteed way to ensure you do not walk in joy. You ready? If you want to leave this place and never experience God's best for your life, you need to do this very simple thing. All right? Write this down if you don't want joy. All you need to do is follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Hey, if you can do that, you're good. No joy for you. I promise you that. I know this sounds harsh, like, whoa, okay, you're coming along a little strong there, follow your heart sounds like pretty good advice, man, like everybody says I should do that, just follow your heart, like, what do you think I should do about this relationship, man, just follow your heart, dude, the problem is, many of us have taken this nice sounding advice, and what we don't realize is that in following our own heart, we've decided to make ourselves our own God, and instead of being committed to obey God, we now obey how we feel, now, I know there's some skeptics, and you say, well, my heart wouldn't steer me wrong. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, this is going to be a tough verse for you. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? What? Hold on a second. The human heart, my heart would not lie to me. I got to just trust it. I got to follow it. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. 
Who really knows how bad it is? Like, what if I told you, hey, hey, man, I got a mentor for you. He's great, great guy. You should follow everything he says. Quick things, couple things about him. He can't stop lying, all right? He's pretty much the most deceitful person I've ever met, all right? He's, honestly, if, I, if I'm totally honest, he's pretty wicked. Um, and I'm sure, I, I don't, I'm not sure I can tell you how bad he is, but he's great, and I know he won't steer you wrong. Like, there's no way you would listen to that guy. But yet we do the same same thing. Every time we make our heart Lord instead of making Jesus Lord. Because here's what you need to understand about your heart and your feelings. They give you really good data, but they give you really terrible direction. Feelings are great informants, but they are terrible leaders. Your feelings are valid. I'm not trying to say, hey, you should ignore everything that you feel, ignore your heart. No, no, you need to pay attention to it. You need to take it in as data. It just cannot be the decision maker for you. Yeah, how you feel is real. I don't want to diminish that. Because I know there's some really, there's real pain that, that, like, you feel pain because that hurt. And if you didn't feel pain, that would be a red flag as well. God created feelings, but just because feelings are real doesn't mean feelings are right. And the reason this is so important is because so often when it comes to joy, we think because we feel a certain way, we should do something. And if we do that thing, it will lead to joy and happiness. But it's our feelings if it's our feelings that are leading, they're usually lying. That's why the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a path before each person that seems right. It feels right. It looks right. But it ends in death. Your best chance to experience real joy is not to do what you think will bring you more joy, but to do what God himself says will bring you more joy. And so I want to challenge you today. I'm almost done. I want to challenge you not to lower the standard of God in your lives because the standards don't seem very common or because sometimes they're challenging. We can't claim the promises of God if we are not willing to follow the principles of God. It doesn't work that way. Joy follows obedience. And if you can make a commitment, you're not gonna be perfect, of course, we're gonna make mistakes, but if you can have a deep, sincere conviction that I'm gonna do everything I can to just follow God's word, there will be joy on the other side of that because everything God tells us to do is for our good. I got one more, we're gonna close right here. How do we leave this place and walk into the same situations that we left, but walk back into them with more joy and strength than we've ever had before? I want to remind you of this. You know this, but this is a good reminder, something to take with you. Number five, praise and worship are your secret weapons. Praise and worship are game changers. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have literally worshipped myself happy. Worshipped myself to a real place of joy. And some of you are sleeping on this weapon. You've made it a, a, a weekly thing, maybe an annual thing at Reveal Conference, but it needs to be a daily thing. Yeah. Why is this so crucial for our joy? I want you to get this, and then we're going to end, and I'd like to end having some fun if that's all right. But yeah. the Bible teaches us that praise and worship invites the presence of God into our lives. There's a verse in Psalms that says God inhabits the praises of his people. Yeah. Inhabits. Y'all know about habitats? Y'all study those in science? What's a habitat? A habitat is an environment that a creature likes to live and hang out in. What the Bible teaches is that God's favorite habitat is our praise and worship. So let me show you why this is so important. Here's a quick formula. If God inhabits the praises of his people, and like we read in Psalm 16, in the presence of God there's fullness of joy, then do you see how closely connected our praise and worship is and our joy is? 
Because when we praise and worship, we invite God's presence, and with God's presence comes real joy. So some of you, what happens to us, especially, I don't know why this generation likes sad music, but y'all like sad music. And so when we're in our feelings, the first place we turn to is sad music to make us more in our feelings. And look, you can like whatever music you want, but if it were me, and I was feeling a little down, I was battling some depression, I found that the solution that works best in my life is to turn on some praise and worship music. Because when I praise and worship, even if I don't feel it, I'm inviting the presence of God, and it does not take long before God's presence brings with Him joy. Why does it work this way? Well, there's a spiritual reason and a practical reason why this works. Practically, science backs this up. Studies show that regular singing out loud, especially in large groups of people, has been linked to improvement in mood, mental health, anxiety, and it releases a higher level of oxygen to the brain. It's almost like God knows what he's talking about. It's almost like he kind of has a clue how this thing works. And then spiritually, the Bible teaches this concept that when we worship, when we praise God, we are magnifying the Lord. Look at this verse, Psalm 34, verse 3. It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So, like I got a magnifying glass, right? What does a magnifying glass do? It makes things appear bigger. It zooms in. It makes whatever it's focused on bigger. And the reason your praise is so powerful is because most of the time we walk around in life like this. I've got this drama. I've got this sickness. I've got this problem, I have this relationship issue, I, I'm so alone, I, I just failed this exam, I, I just got cut from my basketball team, I just lost my friend, I, someone hurt my feelings, and we just, we magnify our problems. The problems are real, but they don't need any help being magnified. The reason worship is so powerful is because when we decide to praise God and magnify the Lord, all of a sudden we take the focus off of our issues and we start making our God bigger. And what's funny is God is already big. He doesn't need us to make, us, make Him any bigger. He just needs us to realize how big He already is. And so praise and worship says, I know I have these problems, but I'm done magnifying them. I'm going to magnify my God, the one who has all power and all authority the one who's been faithful, the one who has provided, the God who healed me, the God who delivered me, the God who saved me, the God who set me free. Come on, the God who has already done more than enough for me to praise him for the rest of eternity. The reality is, if God didn't even fix your issues, you still would say, God, I magnify you because you're bigger than this problem. He deserves our best praise in every single season. And if you can get in the habit of magnifying God when your problems feel really big, all of a sudden, those problems that seem really big will start to seem really small compared to how big and how great and how awesome God is. And as a result of magnifying Him, God says, here's a reward. I'm going to bring my joy with you. I'm going to bring, when I show up in your life, I'm bringing joy and I'm giving it to you. Because in my presence, God says, there is fullness of joy. It's one of the most potent weapons we have access to. And for many of us, it sits on a shelf collecting dust while we keep getting beat up by the the enemy of our negative emotions. So my encouragement as we wrap up Reveal Conference is to dust that weapon off. Make it a daily habit. Five, one song. Like, instead of that podcast, instead of that true crime podcast and that sad music, 
Just listen to a couple praise and worship songs on your way to school. Instead of being all somber with your headphones in, sitting in the back of the bus. Why don't you take your hood off, put some praise and worship music in, and sit up straight. And let the, let the presence of God fill you with supernatural joy that makes no sense. The kind of joy that when you walk into school and you have a smile on your face, people are like, aren't your parents going through a divorce? Yeah, that's all right. I know. I've got the joy, though. I've got the joy of the Lord in my... Aren't you sick right now? Aren't you dealing with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've got the joy of the Lord on the inside. See, that's the strength. That's going to bring you the strength that you need. If you want to take what God's done this weekend and walk this thing out, you can get the joy of God that brings the strength of God for the journey ahead. And i got to be honest, I, I, uh, we're going to close, and I don't know, we're going to close kind of different. I, we've done some altar calls, and we've had some tears, and we've had some powerful moments, and I know God has spoken to you and, and delivered you and healed you and saved you. I think um, we could end just with some praise. And, yeah. And the reason I, I think this is, this is powerful is, one, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be absolutely bananas. But two, the Bible says in Isaiah, for the spirit of heaviness, we put on a garment of praise. So when life is its heaviest, this is a great tip to get. When life is its heaviest, when you are the most weighed down by despair and the most weighed down by discouragement and the most weighed down by depression, if you can just say, I'm putting on my praise right now, you'll push that depression aside. So, Stand up. Let's just, here's what we're going to do. There's no, uh, there's no easy way to flow into this, all right? Um, <laughs> why don't you just come down front, all right? Just, uh, just come on down. And don't start yet. Hold on just a second. Just come on down here. Just come on down. Everybody, even if it's not your personality to sing, as if singing is a personality thing. Even if it's not your personality to jump around a little bit, as if, as if jumping around is a, is a personality trait. All right. Okay. As you're coming down, I want you to hear me. All right. I know this is going to be fun and crazy and it's going to be wild, but I really believe this is spiritual. It's practical and it's spiritual. Yes, we're going to have some fun, but I really believe that, that things can fall off in moments of praise. Like, even as you're having fun, I believe supernaturally whatever you're still carrying whatever God hasn't lifted off of you yet he might just lift off of you in this moment of some craziness and some fun so so come on down here I, I, I want to say this what does real praise look like what does real praise look like I think it's four main things it's singing it's clapping it's dancing and it's shouting now I want to show you I want to show you that this is not just something we made up because it's more fun to do these things. We don't sing and shout and dance and clap because like we're Pentecostal or because we like the way it makes us feel. Watch this, Psalm chapter 30, verse four, says sing to the Lord all you godly ones and praise his holy name. We sing not because we want some Christian karaoke, but because God wants us to sing. So can we get a little, can we do a little la 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 la? All right. You sound terrible, but that doesn't matter. Psalm chapter 47, verse 1 says, Come everyone, clap your hands. We don't clap our hands because 
because it helps us stay on beat. We clap our hands because God likes when we clap our hands and applaud the Lord. Psalm chapter 149 verse 3 says, praise his name with dancing. You mean to tell me that God actually told us to dance? You can't convince me that God doesn't want praise and worship to be fun if he doesn't say dance. You can't dance and be mad. Nobody's ever like, no, 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 no. You don't do that, right? There's a sense of joy that comes with dancing. And finally, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 47, verse 1, shout to God with joyful praise. So, shouting, shouting is an act of praise. Listen, if you can shout for the Dallas Mavericks who are trash, you can definitely shout for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want us on the count of three to give the biggest and the best and the loudest shout that we have left in us. Some of you have probably lost your voice. That's how conferences go. So it may be weak, but as long as you put your heart and soul into it, that's all that God's after anyway. I want the kind of shout that gets hell's attention. I want the kind of shout that lets the enemy know we're going back different. That sad, depressed, somber kid is coming back joyful, full of strength, full of power, with calling and with purpose. So, so I want us to shout, and then once we shout, we're gonna sing, and we're gonna absolutely lose our minds in this place and go crazy and praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So here we go, are you ready? Come on, lean in a little bit. You gotta really want this. Come on, even if you're quiet, well, I'm quiet. Get loud right here. Well, I'm just really quiet, you don't understand. No, 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 you're just gonna get loud right here. No, 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 I'm just, I, I'm really quiet. No, 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 you're just gonna scream at the top of your lungs right here. On the count of three, are you ready? One, come on, like you know God's been good. Two, like he's changed your life forever. Three, can we raise the roof? Let's go. Let's go.
So long to my old 
equipos. Hey, I think uh, I think we need to give the people what they want. Hey, have you guys enjoyed this worship team? Have they just knocked it out of the park this weekend? Guys, we are so, so, so thankful that you joined us for Reveal Conference this year. And uh, guys, I think that they want one more song. What do you think? Come on. Are you going to go in with me, though? Are you going to go in with me? Hey, let's go. Let's go. Last song. Last song, everybody. Come on, give it everything you got. written on my heart It's flowing through my veins Just like a melody Gives me faith so I see Oh, here I am Come take control 